Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Horns Down <laughs> We'll get to that in just a second. Um, but uh, we are going to take a, a quick time out from our uh, summer previews. Uh, a lot of news and notes kind of popped up uh, over the last few days, I think. Um, the the Texas and Oklahoma situation, I think, is kind of forefront on a lot of people's minds um, with the next, rel- next round of conference realignment kind of coming forward. Uh, we'll see kind of where that goes. Um, you know, the Big Ten Media Days happened. Uh, we've got some reports on that. But uh, first of all, I think we do need to talk about something that we happened a little while ago, but we haven't had a chance to, to dive well, in. Well, hold on. First, got to say, people, go buy a T-shirt. That's right. Go go get a T-shirt. Um, time is running out for the our, our T-shirt fundraiser for the Evanston Community Foundation. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com. Uh, got our links there, also on our, our Twitter feed, uh, or bit.ly slash capital WLP t-shirt. Uh, t-shirt is lowercase. Um, yeah, get, they're, they're flying off the shelves now, guys. Uh, we're running out of time, so uh, be sure to jump in on that uh, as, as soon as you can. So Antosaka yes. is, uh, is yes. something we need to talk about. Uh, four-star linebacker out of Maryland, uh, committed to Northwestern over, I guess his final three were us, Penn State, and USC, Southern Cal. Um, to, to pull a kid like that away from, I guess, your traditional blue bloods, if you will. I mean, I know SC hasn't been what they had been in the past, and you know Penn State's coming off uh, a, a rough year last year. But uh, still, for Saka to come to Northwestern, that is... That's a massive get. Oh, yeah. I think it's, and, you know, it's, those were his final three. But, I mean, you can, he's got Michigan on here, Michigan State, Oregon, South Carolina, Tennessee, and on and on and on. I mean, it's, it's a massive offer list. He's a massive player. And I think it's a combination of two things. It's a combination of A, what he shows on film, and and honestly, like what he shows on film is a guy who, like, regardless of scheme, this kid is getting on the field. He's just that kind of guy. But you fold this in with the Jim O'Neill schemes that are going to be coming in, and it's just so easy to project exactly what he is. So in terms of a projection, I mean, he's listed at six three two thirty. He's certainly going to bulk up some, um, but he's you just see him as an edge type player. Right. And I think in a four three, you're thinking, well, that may be a little bit situational, although with someone with the kind of power that Saka has, it may be not. Maybe he is on the field every single down. But in the kind of multiple potential three four scheme, we were talking about it right before the pod, Scuzz, and it's just edge. You call him edge. You're gonna put him on the outside. Um, whether it's in a 3-4 scheme where he's a 3-4 outside linebacker or regardless of the package. Like, you're going to find a way to isolate him against a tackle. And let me tell you, you isolate this monster against any one offensive lineman. <laughs> and it's just, uh, he's, Saka is, so it's funny, you, you look at his murderer's row offer list and the fact that he's, you know, 
top 20 position, top five player in his state, top 20 at his position. Um, despite the fact that, you know, if you're looking at him as a defensive end, he doesn't have prototype defensive end size. Um, and then you look at the film, there are faster players, there are more fluid players. We certainly have more fluid players, but Braden Bruss being an example, who play linebacker um, in our own class. That's not why Anto Saka is rated this highly. He's rated this highly because he's a destroyer of worlds. This guy takes souls on the football field. I can't describe it any better than that. He throws offensive linemen onto the ground and runs over them in vicious pursuit of the quarterback, who honestly needs to just go down and save himself the pain. It's just highlight after highlight after highlight of this guy destroying worlds. And, I mean, like, does that sound like something you'd like? Yes, he's 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 awesome. Sign me up, please. I mean, I it everything you just said is 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 very very true and is like super exciting from the recruiting perspective, from this incredible athlete perspective, you know, from the fact that we we pulled him over Penn State and USC and it it sounds like it wasn't close, like like Louis Vacara had been kind of telegraphing this for a long time or at least felt very confident that Saka was going to pick Northwestern, but simultaneously it is very interesting to see this type of recruit come to Northwestern because this tells you everything you need to know about the Jim O'Neill defense we are switching to a 3-4 not you know wholesale because we've we've heard he likes to mix his fronts etc 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 but you don't like the Mike Hankowitz defense doesn't recruit this type of guy unless they think they can bulk him up to like 275 and put him at D-end Right, that's true, and I think it's it's funny because I think one guy you can juxtapose him with is Tommy Adeware, right? And Tommy Adeware was someone who, I mean, had this, you know, was someone who was like all state in track, you know, throwing in high school, just unbelievable raw strength. And I think you can look at Adeware as as who, by the way, may have a real impact season for us this year, especially in the aforementioned new Jim O'Neill scheme. Um, and you can look at the diamond in the rough that he was. And Saka is basically like the fully formed version of that in high school. It's just a guy where you look at him and you're like, it's not about projecting you or trying to fit you to Scuzz's point into the package of someone who's two inches taller or 50 pounds heavier, etc. You're just a monster. Our job is to position the defense in such a way that we maximize what you do. And that's the benefit of of a Jim O'Neill kind of defense. Like, there's, you know, we've put a lot of work into this 4-3 versus 3-4 kind of thing, etc. It's going to be multiple. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. But, I mean, like, and buckle up, folks, for, like, whatever he's going to do with Brandon Joseph this year. Um, (laughs) The the talented... We've we've not seen a player playing an edge role as long as I can remember at Northwestern, right? I mean, if Fadi, maybe... Right. But, well, and and the Fadi was too big. Fadi plays defensive tackle in the NFL half yeah. the time. Like he he ne- like you never dropped him into coverage unless it was you know the Mike the Mike Hankowitz Robodope. Well, it's funny too because it's great to bring up a Fadi right because it's it's such an interesting juxtaposition in so many ways because he's the obvious comp right. You're talking an edge player who was a massive recruit 
And I think in the run-up, when it became clear we were going to get Saka, and you're looking at his final list and everything, um, Afadi is such a natural juxtaposition because we think back to when Afadi sat down and did that hat dance and picked up that Northwestern hat and how huge a deal that was in Northwestern Nation, right? And Didn't we have an emergency pod for that? I think we did. And it was it was a seismic event. And what's crazy is this is an equally seismic event. This is an equally talented football player. They're very different, right? Afadi went to the the, uh, McDonald's All-America, whatever, the Under Armour All-America game, right? And had two sacks using a dizzying array of spin moves on the offensive lineman he was up against. Saka runs through people. He's just, and you know, Afadi got there late in his career. Well, he was he was so raw. I mean, he'd he'd only been playing football since eighth grade, right? And just didn't have the the history with or the experience with the game. But his his you know physical talents were so prodigious that everyone felt he could be great. And and he's you know certainly come through in spades. Whereas you know Sokka's a a bit more of a a proven commodity. But you're right; like they have very different styles. Right, and I think you look at Sokka and you think, all right, where's he gonna improve? It's all technique stuff. It's going to be like ripping, you know, rip moves and things like that. And all the all the stuff that he's going to be taught at the college level in terms of like the finer points of pass rush and getting around people. And like it's it's all technique stuff. He's fully formed as this just bear that you will just loose on opposing offenses. He's the the raw power is just mind bending. And, and in terms of raw power, the obvious comp is Pete Skaronsky. Someone who equally you could just look on the film and be like, oh my gosh, that power is unbelievable. Same kind of thing on the opposite side of the ball. And I think, again, juxtaposing him with Afadi, what I was going to say is the idea that this is such a big signing, right? And such a big commitment for the Cats. And yet, I don't feel like all of Northwestern Nation lost their mind in the same way that we did with Afadi. And that's because the program is in a constant state of upward development, right? And we are, it's like, it's just as big of a deal, just as big of a deal to get a player of this caliber. And at the same time, we have another four-star player in this class, right? We are targeting other four-star players as we speak. We have other monster recruits in this class, right? Spread across many different positions that we're really excited about. And this, you know, Saka goes right to the top of the list, but we're really strong across, you know, so many positions and recruiting has been so strong even since the period of time where we picked up a Fadi that it just makes a, a huge deal. Does he comp like uh, Von Miller? I mean, obviously, you know, night and day. I mean, it's a, it's a long way. But I'm I'm trying to like wrap my head around because, like you said, we have not had a pure edge rusher necessarily before, right? What about like a like a? I guess T.J. Watt played like he didn't play edge, did he? I don't think so. But like, I, I'm just thinking in the NFL, you do see like edge rushers in a four three. Well, I mean, and again, it's like the you bring up Von Miller, right? And and it's the urge to to not get hyperbolic, right? And that's the thing is like the guy who jumps up for me immediately is Cleo Mack. And again, it's like I don't it's you hate to throw out a name like that because of the ridiculous hyperbole attached to something like that. But it's that's the style. I mean, it's Mack is a hybrid linebacker defensive end 
rush player who is not enormous for the position that he plays, but has been gifted by the gods with a power that is on a different plane than everybody else he lines up against. Um, and again, I'm not trying to dump Socket into those kind of shoes. I'm just saying when you're trying to trying to envision the role he's going to play on the field, it's that kind of role. Like, he's a predator. He is a point, go get that guy kind of person. Um, and he's he's going to be able to, and you there are, there are plays too where you see him in pursuit, um, even downfield pursuit. He's got a crazy motor. I mean, it's it's a crazy motor and power, and it's just like it's just the kind of guy you just look at the quarterback and just go sick him, and send a guy like that. And again, it's like that's what all these teams are looking at, being like, oh my gosh, this guy can do so many different things for us. And again, we have a coordinator now, Jim O'Neill who is looking and looking his chops and being like, I can move him to so many different places and I can put so many different packages together and it's, and just unleash him. Yeah. I mean, very, very exciting. Are we're still, yeah, there's still some work left to be done on this class, right? We're not all, we're not signed, sealed and delivered at this point, right? Well, it's, it's funny you mention this because by the time some of the listeners listen to this pod, right? Like we've, we're, we're looking at a, a D day of sorts, this Sunday. They were recording this on the 23rd. Sunday is the 25th. Um, there are two monster recruits who basically have Northwestern in their final three who are going to make decisions this Sunday. Fisher Anderson and Damari Alston. Um, Anderson being an offensive lineman, Alston being a running back. I guess, theoretically, if we're trying to read the tea leaves, odds on each guy individually are, I think, we're leaning no more than yes, but we won't really know until until Sunday. So yeah, that'll be well. And then, and I guess depending on how those things go, Sam, we'll we'll see where we go from there. I'll, we'll definitely uh, keep our eyes on that. Um, something else we've been keeping our eyes on is uh, Big Ten Media Day. Um, you know, Northwestern's day was on Thursday, so Pat Fitzgerald spoke, uh, as did Cam Porter, Sam Garrick, and Brandon Joseph. Um, not, no real news. I mean, nothing major, obviously. Uh, I, th- I think, uh, during Fitz's time on the podium, uh, the first question, basically the guy, uh, couched it saying, I know you're not going to tell us the starting quarterback. Um, you know, Fitz had tweeted beforehand, we're not going to announce the starting quarterback. I mean, everyone knows better than to ask, you know, we're not going to get a starting quarterback answer right away. But, you know, he did come out and say that, you know, Helinski and Marty and Hunter all having, you know, college experience is really, really good in the room. Um, and then he, you know, he spoke praises of the, the depth behind them. Um, so, you know, we'll find out. Maybe we'll, we'll announce it uh, at kickoff. Um Maybe not. I, I Brendan mean, Sullivan, you're 2021. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think it's, it's not a be, surprise. As fall camp starts, as practices start, um, I think it's going to become apparent. You know what I mean? Like there'll be enough. Um, there'll be enough uh, new. I, I like. I know. I know. Guys are 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 you know, reporters are, are asked to keep some of this stuff close to their vest, but that, that's the sort of thing of like, who's getting the snaps and such. I think, I think we'll have a pretty clear view. I've, we've had a pretty clear view the last 
you know, few years out. Um, and it was really in 2019, it became clear that it was unclear and that we were going to see both players. Um, but, uh, like, like last year, it was very obvious going to last year, right? Game yeah. one, it was going to be Peyton Ramsey. Like, so I, like, we will know whether or not there's a clear winner or whether we have a, um, a bit of a cluster on our hands before the first game kicks off. I'll, t- I'll tell you this though. And we've been kind of beating this drum through our last couple of regular pods, but certainly kind of nibbling around it with the team previews at various times, etc. Northwestern's going to be really good offensively in certain areas. And if you're not a Northwestern fan, we're trying to tell you and Fitz is trying to tell you and you shouldn't be focusing on the quarterback. You should just stop and notice and start to see the forest through the trees here, right? Um, and, and by that, do you mean the sophomore featured at Big Ten Media Days? Uh, that would be one of them. I would also start with <laughs> which one? This with the senior featured at Big Ten Media Days. Yeah, because yeah, that too. for anyone who's stopping and paying attention, okay, Sam Gurak went because he's one of the best offensive linemen and certainly one of the best upperclassmen offensive linemen in the conference and one of the leaders leaders of our team and is going to be one of the best centers in the big 10 he, he's on the he's on the Remington award watch list um, he's on the Remington award watch list and I don't know if anyone forgot but we also have a lineman who's a preseason all-american so then we have the aforementioned sophomore Cam Porter. Who who was it who described him? Who was like who was the toughest player you had to hit this year? And he uh, named Ohio like, State's middle linebacker. Yeah, and he named three guys, and one of them was Cam Porter. And it's like, and then like you're adding Ethan Wiedeker is a senior and is either going to play tackle or guard. Um, and then. You have an assortment of other guys who are going to start. We think it's going to be Josh Preve and Charlie Schmidt. You may see Ben Rather. You may see Zach Franks. We are ecstatic with all of these names. This is a stacked group of guys with a battering ram running behind them. And you know what? The quarterback situation is going to come together. But it's like Fitz is trying to tell you, if you're willing to open your eyes and see it, uh, you can just look at the guys he brought to Big Ten Media Day on the offensive side of the ball and be like, this team is going to be tough and is going to run hard. Um, and that's I think, what we're super stoked about. And Fitz is super stoked about it, too. I mean, this is his his dream, right? right. Uh, a, a team that can control on its scrimmage, control the clock, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's everything he ever wanted. And, I, like, there's – there's a lot being thrown around about Northwestern's returning production and it's one of the lowest in FBS. And yes, that's absolutely true. But yeah, you you did some, you did some good work on this guys. I mean, when you dig into the stats, so, so I think the stat is like 39% of production returning. And I assume that's some combination of like yards Yards and and tackles. Right. Um, and, and maybe they're doing some things with like interceptions and touchdowns or whatnot. Like who, who knows? Was it, was that 39% like, entirely or was it just 39 percent offensive well the the actual number on offense if you're doing the math like based on just yards is 28 percent um lower if you're gonna split the ownership of yards equally between qbs and wide receivers um so like it ha- it has to be an overall figure okay in, in some some way shape or form but then it's also weird because like you know we lost two of the greatest tacklers on the defense um 
So, but, but regardless, like that is a flawed stat for a number of reasons, right? Like on aggregate, you look across all of college football, like that's a, that's a decent way to, to group teams into, you know, like potentially elite and, you know, trying to reload and, and you can put question marks, but you have to look at the individual situations. And at Northwestern, there's a pretty intriguing one. (laughs) And, and by the way, could there possibly be a year after which the stats are not particularly relevant. Yeah, as seriously. The stat, as the stats guy, like I'm going to say 2020 was probably an outlier in about 6,000 different ways, so maybe we shouldn't lean too hard on that. But my point my point in this particular case is, um, so overall, right, Northwestern has 30, 39% returning production or something. You look at just the rushing stats. Cam Porter, Evan Hall, a uh, couple other guys further down the list coming back on the on the rushing stats. 38% of of yards are returning. It's something like, uh, I think, 30, something like 28% of, of carries. I can't exactly remember. But here's the thing. Cam Porter didn't play until the last three games of the year, not meaningfully. And he was inarguably the best running back that Northwestern had last year. And this is not a, ooh, this guy got injured and now he's going to be back situation. Like, he was a he was baller down the stretch and is is coming back as the presumed number one. If you look, if you, if you dig into the, the, the stats and you just take all of Drake Anderson and Isaiah Bowser's carries and hand them to Cam Porter, you'd give him roughly 200 for the year, a very plausible number, I might add. And it, and, and now you're talking about 70% of last year's rushing production returning to Northwestern. Um, I'm not even factoring in Porter's uh, better average yards per carry than those other guys combined. Like you could probably tack on an extra hundred yards of, of expected uh, yardage, but even outside of that, like when you combine the the transformation the Northwestern's offensive line has gone on gone through over the last four years with with Cam Porter, and we know there's depth behind him, whether it's um, uh, I want to say Tyus Jones, Tyus. I don't think- Anthony Tyus. Anthony Tyus, thank you. Uh, Anthony Tyus or Hall or, or whomever else, like uh, the, the transfer that we got, like Northwestern is going to run the ball and it's going to be the primary thing. And um, and the fact that Cam Porter was at media days only helps confirm that perspective. Right. I, I just like bring it home. It's like, again, <clears throat> this is not to say we may not end up with a really dynamic starting quarterback in a really dynamic passing game. It's just like, there is a ready-baked identity offensively for what this team's going to do. And it's not like the the fact that this team, you know, that theoretically we don't know who the starting quarterback is, does not know that we do not know the, the character and the soul of what this team is going to want to do. It's going to be a lot of dynamic running and a lot of inside stuff, a lot of outside stuff. Like, this offensive line can work. These guys can do everything. They can interior block. They can pull. Like, it's... There's just so much meat on the bone to to run the ball. And yeah, that was so kind of seeing that represented, of course, you know, from a quotes perspective, it was the usual boilerplate stuff that we always see. Um, but at the same time, it's like stuff you like to hear. I mean, Brandon Joseph talking about, you know, the I didn't think too much about the one handed interception because we lost the game. I just wanted to win the game. Um, and then, of course, you know, the beautiful timing of pro football focus releasing there projected top seven in the big 10 next year oh my god and 
the team that's won the West two of the past three years not being on the list was, of course, served up for these guys. And they were even, it was so funny, they weren't even, like, mad about it. They were just, like, I wouldn't call it nonchalant, but they were just, like, their reaction was, of course, this is what it, this is what's done. And then we go out and win it again. And it's like, that's right. That's right, damn it. <laughs> these guys get it. So, um, you know, it was it was good to see that stuff. But, I mean, again, so it's, like, it's almost like what the guys who were there represented um in terms of what this team is bringing back and like Scott said i mean the fact that this whole notion that northwestern's you know somehow not bringing a lot back is such a misnomer and so misrepresentative and and that was on display at media day if you cared to actually see it there's one other interesting thing i saw and this was an article at, on cleveland.com and it was a it was focused on ohio state but it featured brandon joseph um and in a very very interesting way so that basically it was it was looking at Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and kind of saying like, how do you cover these guys? But then went like really in depth and talking to, 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 um, to Joseph. And then I think a corner from Nebraska and a couple other players about like this, you know, these, these two dudes look identical. They're super fast. They, you know, they do this, that, and the other thing on the, on the field, but what are the subtle differences? How do you play them differently? Joseph talked a little bit about his interception. It was just, it was a really, really interesting profile and perspective. And I don't, I don't, I, ge- I generally haven't seen these types of of evaluations in print where it's it's like talk to the defenders not about how good the offensive player is it wasn't it wasn't a puff piece in that way it was like kind of an X's and O's and tendencies breakdown of like what do you do when you're matched up against this guy how do you like what is it that he's trying to do that you're trying to counteract and it was um, it was really fascinating. Interesting. Uh, did they ask him, how are you going to cover both of these guys? And he was like, well, God gave me two hands. And as you can see, I only need one. Did he say that? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I mean, but no, I, uh, no, I don't like, think that came up. Last thing I'll say about Joseph only because he's an All-American and his name's going to be on the stadium and we haven't talked about him too much considering he's been at Notre Dame until Scuzz just brought that up is um, you're bringing it back to the O'Neill thing. I think back to the the... So close and yet so far away defensive glory days of the Michigan Wolverines um, and when they had Jabril Peppers um, and the the time at the, you know, the defensive brain trust that they had operating at that, you know, one point in time that they were able to to basically they had a, they had one year where they basically just played him everywhere and basically used him at all places at all times. And that sounds ridiculous, but that's what an effective scheme can do when you pair it with a really dynamic player. And you're going to get a bunch of that with Joseph next year. Like, just buckle up for, like, what we're going to do with him next year. It's just going to be so fun. One, one thing I enjoyed was uh, Fitz was asked about that name, image, and likeness. And, um, you know, he made a joke. He's like, yeah, I'm jealous, man. I could have I made a lot of money back then. Um, but th- then what, what he said, you know, for real was uh, basically like anyone who's coming out and saying we're going to get the best deals for our, our players, no one really knows what they're talking about. Um, and he's like, we just need to, you know, educate everyone and, and you know, tell them like you're, you're going to get NIL deals. There is work like this is work. You're going to have to put work into it. And anyone who. Like it says, oh, you come to us. We're going to give you the best NIL opportunities. No one knows anything for sure because it's all so new. So I, I appreciated his candor on that. And it's like, 
you know, he's not out here blowing smoke up anyone's ass. And, you know, Fitz is never one to blow smoke up people's ass. So, um, well, with that said, Northwestern does does a better job making athletes money than anybody. It's called forty years of paychecks, and we set the <laughs> we set you up for them, and then you go get that money. So true. Uh, one big topic of conversation around Big Ten Media Days um, was something that is happening down south. Uh, a very interesting kind of report that really sort of popped up. Uh, wasn't really on anyone's radar, I don't think. But then all of a sudden, a report from the Houston Chronicle saying that Oklahoma and Texas are uh, looking at potentially dropping the Big 12 and heading over to the SEC. Um, that was immediately followed by emergency calls and uh, pretty strong rhetoric from, uh, I, I saw some Texas politicians making strong rhetoric. Obviously, Texas A&M is you know, vehemently against this. They wanted to get out, away from Texas. Uh, that's why they went to the SEC. You had Oklahoma State you know, raising high hell. And now all of a sudden, like the rest of the, the Big 12 uh, now would be the Big 8 again. <laughs> Um, you know, they're saying, well, what are we going to do now? Uh, saw a report that Kansas might be talking to the Big Ten. Um, they talked potentially about going to the Pac-12, making a, a giant 20-team conference. We need to insert Ron Burgundy saying, that escalated quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really got yeah, out of yeah. hand. Well, especially because the initial report, like when I saw it, it was like, ooh, Oklahoma and Texas have called the SEC. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, okay. Yeah. I'm, I mean, people call people all the time. Right. It's it, you know, um, bears call Tampa to inquire about Tom Brady's availability. Like, okay, it doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, but, but but the fact, the fact that it was immediately followed by like non nos like both Texas, Oklahoma and the SEC, none of them denied it. They all said, oh, things are weird. Things are fluid. We don't know what's going to happen. But no one said this is not true. Even then, like it wasn't until the second report of. Texas and Oklahoma plan to tell Big 12 they're going to let the media rights expire and then all the other Big 12 teams are on a meeting and Texas and Oklahoma aren't there that all of a sudden you're like holy shit this is actually real and you know whether or not they actually end up in the SEC or something else we we you know remains to be seen I think there's probably still a lot of hurdles that need to be cleared especially getting what 11 of the 14 um, that, that's not yes, going to be the but, problem. That is not going to be a problem. Getting see, I, I, I don't, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hedge my bets there a little bit. But it's, I mean, Texas is the is the team that that set off this whole firestorm ten years ago as well. And it is interesting to see how you know whatever promises the Big Twelve made and this other thing have not you know sated the 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 Texas Longhorns desire for something more than they have currently. And this, this could end up with pretty minor change. I mean, I think it's pretty clear Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the big 12 or are going to renegotiate some sort of super, super deal for themselves. They, they already have a super deal for themselves in the big 12. I, I think that's, I think it's I, a nice deal. I don't think it's a super deal. I, I, I think they pretty much, you know, what, whatever they say goes in the big 12 and like the other, no, that, well, from a power standpoint, yes, but not from a cash, not from standpoint. a money standpoint. Well, yeah, I mean, Texas has how, long, Texas keeps all of their longhorn network money. But, but that was so, so the problem, however long ago, part of the reason Texas A&M left and then Nebraska and Colorado as well was because of the totally disproportionate revenue share. And when the Big 12, like, 
all re-agreed to do stuff. Like, yes, Texas gets to keep the Longhorn Network money, but everything else is split. It's not exactly even because there's some, I think, uh, extra payouts to, to those two big schools or, or certainly to Texas, but um, it's more fair than it used to be. But you're right. I mean, the power dynamic is 100% skewed. Um, but I just, it's just very interesting to me that like we went through this whole rigmarole, you know, 10 years ago, we were on the cusp of four 16 team super conferences. And then it, and then it started to fall apart. Right. And we ended up with some really significant movement, but not anything on the order that, that we expected. And now it's, it's, we're right back where we were. And the 16 team super conferences are what everybody's talking about. Well, I mean, the SEC, the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma is a 16-team super conference. Con- yes, 100%. Well, and I think there – so there, there are two particularly interesting aspects of this to me. And and one is the 16 thing. And and we've been going back and forth, or should I say I've been going back and forth with our Winning Cures Everything boy, uh, Chris Giannini, on this. Um, because I think – He's of the opinion, and I think there probably a lot of people are, that, okay, this is the first shot fired in the 16-team arms race. First to 16 wins for every other team here, and that there's going to be a furious power grab. And my, I just view it the opposite way. I just believe that there's there's not a magic number, and that it's the quality of the teams. And I think because, I think there's... There are a lot of people, and Chris would not be the only one, looking, being like, all right, it's time for the Big Ten to grab West Virginia, grab Kansas, grab Iowa State, grab whoever they can grab because they got to get to 16. And I'm just like, look, the SEC was pulling in Texas and Oklahoma. That's one thing. But it's hard for me to believe that you're going to add those schools that I just mentioned, and somehow that's going to improve your overall product. I think the truth of the matter is... um, Marquee matchups are what a lot of these big deals are are made off of. And the SEC absolutely is going to be able to jack their potential cash through the roof in their next negotiation because they've exponentially increased the amount of marquee matchups across the conference by adding Texas and Oklahoma. The Big Ten, we either get Notre Dame or potentially, and I know this sounds radical, but like, a USC, right? We either add a USC or a Notre Dame or we don't. Like, I don't see what value any current team, in, in, in terms of cachet, none of the teams, with all due respect to Iowa State, who's been playing good football lately, right? None of the teams that are geographic fits for the Big Ten that are Big 12 teams have any kind of football cachet. And the Big 12 teams that do have some cachet relative to everyone else, right? Like an Oklahoma State or a TCU, are just they make no fit, no sense as fits within the conference. So, you know, I I don't know. Like I Sam mentioned, you know, Kansas making phone calls to the Big Ten. Obviously, Kansas you can point to and be like, well, they bring awesome basketball to the table. The football program is a total tire fire, obviously, but you can at least point to something and be like, Kansas brings this value to the table. I and and Kansas is AAU, so like has has the academic side of that as well, right? And the and you can you know so so there's there's that aspect of it, but I don't and I feel like the Pac-12 is thinking the same way. Aside from that, I ain't looking at the rest of the Big Twelve and being like I want some pieces of what's left here, and I just feel like 
I feel like the Big 12 ends up grabbing guys from the American and pulling in a Houston, pulling in a UCF, and then just trying to duct tape this thing as best they can and hope that they can maintain um, Power 5 status. And so, I don't know so, if they will be able to or not. So here's the thing. If it's all about the big matchups, joining the SEC doesn't make sense for Texas and Oklahoma because there's – there's okay, so so who would, who would be – big from that perspective you'd have a&m lsu bama auburn florida georgia tennessee maybe nah tennessee tennessee really really appreciates you bringing that up (laughs) yeah yeah. but like so six teams right there's eight other teams that have to fit into the schedule of texas and oklahoma on a rotating basis like if it's really about the big the big matchups, if that's what's really going to drive the exponential value, you got to kick Vanderbilt and Tennessee and Kentucky and and Missouri out of the SEC to make room for those other two big dogs and really create a a top tier group. I mean, this is this is when people talk about like you know the the biggest brands in college football breaking off and forming their own you know, 16 or 20 team league, right? You get Ohio State, you get Michigan, you get USC, Notre Dame, Clemson, those schools I mentioned from the, from the SEC, Oklahoma, Texas, and it's just big dogs playing big dogs all the time. And so, like, I don't know what the economics are around big games versus conferences, but I have to think conferences still matter for, like, in some way, shape, or form, and whether it's negotiating power or logistics or a home for all the other athletes or what. Like, it has to matter. I, the the other the other option I could see happening here is that Oklahoma and Texas are trying to set up like the Notre Dame ACC arrangement with the SEC, where they're not part of the conference in football. They still they they have an independent status that allows them to schedule whoever the heck they want, and they and they commit you know several games a year to the SEC, which would allow them to ensure they've got a big time SEC matchup or two, play a couple other SEC middling teams. Line up a game against Notre Dame. Line up a game against each other. Line up a game against um against a, a USC, um etc. Like, I mean that that might be the best financial windfall for Oklahoma and Texas specifically. But I just, like if they actually join the SEC, there's got to be something else to it that is that is that what, is motivating. That. What it, what it is it, it's money. I mean, like there, I was listening to Andy Staples earlier today, and you know he was talking about how. The Big 12, um, their TV contract is up in, I get, think, 2025. And they had approached ESPN about re-upping, or about like making a, extending it. And ESPN was like, nah, we're good. And then for them to see ESPN like spend however much money they spent to get the SEC package away from CBS, like $300 million. I mean, ESPN was like, we want that. And Texas and Oklahoma are sitting there thinking, you know, so they don't want to play ball with us here in the in the Big Twelve, yet they're willing to shell out all of this money to the SEC. We'd rather get a smaller bite of a bigger pond than you know whatever. Like we're not getting the money here in the, in the Big Twelve. So by that same token, if you're Oklahoma State, you can't just pick up some scraps from the American and absolutely not the big 12 and make oh. an ex- and you, I mean, you are going to lose so much money. Well, going I mean, to I the think pac 12 is your only option. If, if they'll take you, 
And I think that's, and I actually could see a situation where the Pac-12 can kind of draw a, a crazy map of sorts that sort of incorporates because they've got Arizona, they've got Arizona State. As as weird as that they've sounds, got Colorado, because, right? As well as weird as that sounds, because I know people think Pac-12 and they think California, and and usually I think a lot of times, especially in the Midwest and the South, that's from a negative perspective. And give California credit; they've earned it. Um, but the, I think you can look and you can draw geographic lines where you're like, look, yeah, a lot of the heart of the conference might be in California, but you could easily draw a map that encompasses, you know, teams in Arizona, teams in Texas, and there's something of a geographical fit there. I would say though, the, so here's the West Virginia is in the big 12. I think the geographical bus left, uh, left, left the station a decade ago. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I don't know where West Virginia fits in. I mean, uh, you know, part of it, I think ultimately, right to your point they got to go to the Pac-12, otherwise they're just screwed because the yeah. Big 12, that's that's the end of that. The other thing, too, and and this folds into what you just said. I guess this would be my sort of counter to what you just said about Texas and Oklahoma and also in a related factor to conversations we've had about Notre Dame. And I think because obviously there's there's questions of Notre Dame in this situation, too. And I say the general college situation going forward. And what I'm talking about is... As much money, and Sam's right, it's about money, but as much money as you think the SEC can make, like whatever the multiplier is on whatever they were currently planning to re-up by bringing in Texas and Oklahoma, you need to be thinking of a number way, way bigger than that. Because we may be heading to a future where for all intents and purposes, like the SEC is college football, almost in a literal sense, like a post-NCAA future. And I do believe that schools like Texas and Oklahoma, in addition to just the raw dollars and cents, are looking at this landscape and being like, look, the SEC may be the the total god of college football. I mean, it may feel like they're that way now, but 10 years from now, that really may be it. Like, they may be the brand, and they, there could be some sort of alliance between their brand and a Big Ten brand, etc. But their power, as big as it is now, is about to just unbelievably increased because the NCAA may, you know, could eventually erase itself or be diminished to to an institution that administers the NCAA tournament and does nothing else or something like that. And in that world, the SEC wields this ungodly amount of power. And Texas and Oklahoma are like, we want in on that. And from a similar standpoint, that may be why, you know, the SEC, which I'm sure they can't do this anyway, but would not be looking to kick out of Vanderbilt or something because they're like, look, we have this massive geographic footprint spread across all these teams. The conference is the brand, et cetera. And in the future where we are kings on high, like we want this, we want this exactly the way it is. And we will be happy to pull in Texas and Oklahoma to it. And again, that's the same thing too, where I do wonder about Notre Dame where, I mean, cause, cause you, you kind of made the counter argument. You're like, look in this world, Notre Dame's totally sitting pretty because they have the total freedom to do exactly what they want. And that may be true. Um, See, I, I, I just think there's there's more than one way to get money. Like TV rights deals are not the only way to get money, right? Um, the playoff is a massive way to get money. And I'm not just talking about the payout you get for making the playoff, but I'm talking about the resonance that that has with alumni and boosters and donations and excitement around campus. But Hell, there's, I mean, like, but there could with, be a theoretical future where SEC could lock Notre Dame out of a playoff. 
like that's like that's a potential you know what I, like that's what i mean about like a power perspective i mean i'm if, not saying if, they if, would if they want their product to be irrelevant in in two-thirds of the country like sure but i yeah. like so so that's implausible to me because i think college football remains a, a regional sport and i don't think that that i i as as pervasive as the sec is in terms of its footprint and its success and its and its and its power vis-a-vis like talent and good teams um i i i mean i think all you have to do is look at at alabama clemson and how how bored people got with that matchup over the last few years from a national perspective like people will look elsewhere if if it's just alabama and and georgia and florida and okay sure throw in texas that becomes novel for a few years but eventually you're like eh, i'm bored with this um, and I just I, I don't think the SEC in any future can command a national audience on its own. I, like, oh, I don't. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think and that's the thing. Like, I, I don't think to, in my mind this it doesn't make the Big Ten less relevant, but it helps reinforce in my mind that we are looking at a future where an alliance of the SEC, the Big Ten and whoever else is is it right and and it's totally true like it's possible notre dame's like we can we want to continue to be a separate entity but we're going to be at this table too and and that all works out but i so like i think what you're essentially describing is the playoff as it stands today minus the pac-12 and the big 12 but totally and i think and 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 it is right and that's the thing i mean part of this i suppose part of the joke to all this is like the ncaa hasn't really had any power for a while they they have they have zero influence on the football side of things but i but i also do believe i you know i truly do that like the big 10's brand as it currently stands like sec is sec but like the big 10 continues to be like i just don't feel like the big 10 does not desperately need to go and grab scraps from the big 12 to feel like they're competing here i feel like the big 10 is just fine i mean the big 10 is the number is number two sec's number one big 10's number two that dynamic is not changing in any way here um and certainly not in a way that i that big 10 needs to go and be like we have to get iowa state to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> well and, and especially because like the whole reason for expansion the last round of expansion was when cable deals were still at their all-time high. Like, you needed to get Rutgers because all of a sudden now you're able to charge every cable uh, subscriber in the New York market $1.10 per subscriber instead of $0.05 per subscriber. People are cutting the cord. The cable deals are not what they once were. So it's like, it. there is no golden goose for the Big Ten. Like, Iowa State doesn't do anything for the Big Ten. Kansas doesn't do anything as far as like, you know, you're not getting all these Kansas subscribers. That doesn't that doesn't really fly this time around because it's just a different economic uh, model. So I I disagree, and this is where my my comment on the playoff and and I actually think the expanded playoff has a huge is a huge factor in this. Sure, be, because two things can be true at the same time, and that's that. Conference affiliation, I think, matters less now in the playoff era because there are more spots. Like, like the debate with Notre Dame for the length of the BCS playoff has been, um, can they, you know, can they get in without it, without it, without winning a championship game, a, a conference championship game? Is that fair? Should that be fair, etc. Um, well, now it's kind of a moot point in in the in the world of sixteen, right? And 
at the same time, you know, you're adding Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. So so now you're talking about like a 16 and one Alabama and a 15 and two LSU and a and a 15 and two Florida and a 15 and two Oklahoma, all coming out of that. Or sorry, not this. You, you, your point. You, I mean, yeah. Go 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 back to sixteen as a total, except for two teams who 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 meet in the in the SEC championship game. But like, all of a sudden, by by by, I and I, I guess maybe they still play twelve games. But the value of adding an, a Kansas and an Iowa State to the Big Ten is is now your Wisconsin has a better chance of having their record, you know, stand up and, and, and mimic what's coming from the SEC. And well, for, from a, from a wins and losses perspective, sure. But like, or someone, or someone else from the West, like say a team that's won the West <laughs> two of the last yeah. three years. Yeah. Example. I mean, but like, the, like conference construction matters. And this is, this is actually a reason why I think SEC teams or schools might balk at this because again, money can come from different, from different places. If I'm Florida, and I'm already looking at, like I'm like my my lot in life right now is that I'm gonna have a hell of a time beating Alabama in the SEC championship. But if I win the cocktail party, and I don't, you know, shit the bed anywhere else on my on my schedule, I've got a I've I've got a easy chance to get into the playoff and probably even get a home game in the playoff as a top eight seed. If you're now talking about adding Oklahoma and Texas to my conference, I'm going to get to play one of like each of them once every four years. And I'm going to get, and so every once every eight years, you know, I'm going to reap the the gate benefits from both of them. Sure. It's going to boost my, my TV revenue, but you're also now going to move Alabama into my division. And now the, like the path to the playoffs suddenly just got harder for Florida. And I think legacy and, and national championships really matter to those schools. I mean, the, and I, the, I, I just wonder the I path wonder to the playoff look at this. The path to the playoff gets harder if you lose to them. I mean, you beat that you beat Oklahoma. Now all of a sudden you've got a great win on your resume. Sure, but it's it's not about Oklahoma and Texas. It's about Alabama moving into my into my division. Except they would probably not go to like my guess is Even like, if they did pods, pods though, you're still like like you're still playing you're now you're now stuck with teams like Alabama and Auburn that much more often on the schedule before yeah. you get to whatever the conference championship is. I just I th- I think there's some sort of cost there for a Florida, for an Auburn, for a Georgia, um, and maybe it pales in comparison to what they would make on the TV rights and everything else. But I just those schools are pretty damn conservative, right? Um, and I don't mean I don't mean political conservative. They're I mean, conservative, like, but you but you can't beat SEC pride. And pulling these two teams in, it just allows them that much more to be like SEC. It's SEC and everybody else. And you I know, don't know from, from I don't the top know. to bottom perspective, they're they're right. But again, I'm I'm like I you know I see no reason to go out and grab a Kansas or a K State or whatever. And of course, K State's going to make that. I mean, Kansas is going to make that phone call because what else do they have to do? Well, except here, here's one thing to to mention. I mean, as we've been talking, I've, I've been keeping an eye on Twitter. Apparently, the Texas A&M Board of Regents is meeting on Monday at 5 p.m. Central for discussion and possible action on contractual and governance issues related to Texas A&M University and the Southeastern Conference. Um, Andy, I, I, Andy Staples goes on to say. Um, 
there is no grant of rights fee in the SEC. There is no exit penalty because who would want to leave? Right. Like if, if Texas A&M wants out, they'll be like, fine. Anyone else want in? Great. Come on. And Texas A&M doesn't. And they, they will have their meeting and then release a statement saying, we do not want Texas and Oklahoma. And if the SEC should decide otherwise, we shall be very put out. That is what they will say. And then they will go on and sulk and cry into their giant bags of money. I, I, I don't know. Uh, that's a, that's a grudge that, um, it's a deep grudge. It's a, oh, I mean, it's a deep ha- grudge. Like, like you don't think that they could go join the ACC and, and get I in the mix with Clemson and Florida state and, and, you know, Notre Dame on occasion and be, you know, a, a little poorer for it, but much happier and, and know that they've gotten a chance to spit in Texas's eye twice now. I think they should join the big 10 West. If there's any school that, that aligns with Northwestern's value system, it's Texas A&M. So I think <laughs> we should pull, we should pull them in. So, so that actually is a, is a qu- interesting question. You know, Texas A&M to the big 10. Now all of a sudden, re- I mean, recruiting in Texas opens up even more. Because now you have someone to recruit. I, I don't know. I, Texas A and M ain't coming to the. Of course, big Texas A and M's not coming to the. They're big staying yeah, in no, the no, SEC. No, 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 no chance. With their Absolutely fat not. bags of cash. But anyway, yeah. So I, I don't know. This is fun. I, I enjoy sitting here. Watch. It, ain't, it ain't going anywhere. No, it sure isn't. And then like the, the Pac-12 has yet to really say anything. I mean, they've got a brand new commissioner, um, and you know Jim Phillips says he wants Notre Dame. Full-time in the ACC. Obviously, he wants Notre Dame full-time in the ACC. Who doesn't want Notre Dame full-time? I mean, I I, I guarantee if, if Notre Dame called up uh, Kevin Warren and said, hey, we want in, Notre Dame would be in. Guaranteed. Yeah, oh, 100%. So I, I'm I'm just looking forward to, to watching everyone's panties get up all up in a jumble. Um, you know, all of these Texas politicians. <laughs> Yeah, although the one thing and I think Gary from uh, Winning Cures pointed this out to us is that the there the there's contractual stuff in in Notre Dame's setup with the ACC like it, it'd be a number of years before they could actually join the Big Ten like maybe they sure. decide to do it but it'd be many many years before they'd actually be able to to pop over. Oh yeah, no, for if sure. If they're joining a conference, it's the ACC. No, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, their bed is made with the ACC at, at but, this point. But an A and M Notre Dame, like like Texas OU goes like asked to join the SEC, turns into A and M, and Notre Dame join the ACC is a pretty amazing outcome. But and then yeah. and then um, maybe Oklahoma State would then take A yeah. and M spot yeah. in the SEC. Oak State, and then I guess you know you're looking at like a. And then you'd be TCU, I don't, I don't know Baylor, what then. yeah, TCU, Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State are you know left with their thumbs up their butts. I don't know West Virginia. Are you, are you, you go after a West Virginia for the SEC. I don't know. Uh, West like, Virginia would maybe go ACC. I mean, th- that's where all of their like Pitt is. You know, all their old rivalries are in the ACC. All right, yeah. all right, we got to pay, we got to pace fit. ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. I, I love talking about this, and it, it's fun to watch other people just get apoplectic about it. Um, Just remember, while everyone else is thinking about this, they're not thinking about how sweet our offensive line is going to be with Cam Porter running behind it. <laughs> yeah, which is what, which is really what I'm thinking about. Absolutely. Right. Uh, so 
let's go ahead and uh, and wrap this one up here. Um, once again, uh, our t-shirts are still on sale for uh, a few more days. Um, head to westlawpirates.com uh, where you can get information on how to pick up those. bit.ly slash WLP in capitals uh, t-shirt is the link to uh, to get one of your t-shirts. Um, like I said, we're running out of time on that on this fundraiser and the shirts are really, really great. So, you know, please uh, pick up one if you have a chance. Um, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skiles, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.